Hey everyone, welcome to Being Well. I'm Forrest Hansen. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for joining us today. This is where we explore the practical science of personal growth. And if you've listened before, welcome back. Last week's episode focused on getting in touch with what we need. And once we get to the point of knowing our wants and needs and desires, we still have a pretty big hurdle to face, stepping into them for ourselves and expressing those needs to other people. And that's what we're going to be focusing on today. To help us learn to do that, I'm joined, as usual, by Dr. Rick Hansen. Rick is a clinical psychologist, best-selling author, and he's also my dad. So, Dad, how are you doing today? I'm good, and I'm super psyched about this topic. Yeah, very much the same. I was really happy with how our previous conversation turned yeah. out. I think it's going to be helpful for a lot of people, and I'm looking forward to talking more about it today. Uh, before we get into it, a couple of quick reminders. First, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it now we on. We need your subscriptions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, you, you took me by surprise there, Dad. Give me a second. I got to pull it together. That was good. That was good. That was funny. Anyways, and if you'd like to support us in other ways, you can find us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast, and for the cost of just a couple dollars a month, you can support the show and you'll receive a bunch of bonuses in return. So, Dad, we're going to be focusing kind of on two categories today. The first of those is how we can get better at meeting our needs ourselves, whether that's accepting the presence of needs or taking practical steps, frankly, inside of our lives to get better at meeting those needs. And then the second is communicating them to other people, expressing ourselves more fully, being courageous with others, stepping into a little discomfort socially, and then also learning some practical tactics for doing so. But I'd like to focus on the first one first. What do you think supports people in getting real about meeting their needs? It's a topic that I've grappled with myself a lot. And one of the things that I felt is that much of my life, probably like many people, especially my, let's say, through my 20s and 30s, hmm. I was fulfilling the needs, I was pursuing the goals that other people had laid out for me. Hmm. To do well in school, be nice, don't rock the boat. And part of my own journey has been, and I think like many other people, is to sort through the scripts and roles and speaking lines that have been laid out for them by other people growing up, and then filtering out what is actually authentic to them in all that, disengaging from the rest, and adding new things that are really authentic for themselves. So kind of with that as a frame, on reflection, I can say that there are two things that really stand out that are within our own power to do and have tremendous impact. And they're seemingly simple, but if we do them, they make an enormous difference. The first is to actually set aside some real time every day, a minute or more. The range realistically often is in on the order of a dozen or two dozen or three dozen minutes a day. That's not a mm. lot for pursuing an important need. Mm. For example, there might be a, something that calls to you that says, you know, I really do need to be more active. I need to go for walks mm -hmm. more. I need to maybe do some regular exercise, maybe pick up some yoga, something. Set aside a minute or more a day and then keep at it every day. Or maybe in you is something that says, I want to write a book or compose a song. Well, bang away at it, 15 minutes a day. <laughs> You'd be amazed 
yeah. the number of chapters you can gradually write if you really do spend 15 minutes a day, five days a week, 50 weeks a year. Yeah, I think that you're pointing to something here that's really practical and really important, which is just that people often get carried away by how long we think something is going to take or yep. how hard we believe something is going to be. Yeah. And yes, achieving distant ends can actually be challenging for people and take a lot of cumulative time. Mm -hmm. But on any given day, spending 15 or 20 minutes doing something is infinitely more than spending zero minutes. And yeah. you'd be really surprised at how far 15 or 20 minutes a day can carry you in pursuit of your goals. Yeah, fantastic. And kind of related to that, get some momentum. Mm -hmm. Also, you start to believe in yourself. Like, oh, yeah, I really can do it. Okay, so that's the first really simple, practical suggestion I want to make. The second is equally simple and equally powerful. It's that when you do step forward in some ways, typically simple and brief, toward meeting your own needs, slow down to recognize that you've mm. done that mm -hmm. and internalize the good feelings that result. Just that. You know, you sat down and you meditated for a minute or maybe 15. Good on you, right? Yeah, feel good about it. Yeah, not just go, okay, I did that, whatever, but go, hey, I backed my play. I supported mm. myself mm -hmm. and I was not helpless. I was not inert. I had some mm -hmm. agency, some efficacy, I was at cause, not at effect. And mm -hmm. also, as a result of that, whatever the particular fruits of the practice are, like what it feels like when you meditate or exercise or write for 15 minutes toward your book, et cetera, you know, the satisfaction of that, really let it land. Just those two mm -hmm. things, huge effects. Totally. And I think that for people who struggle with self-criticism of various kinds, it's really easy to get captured by well, I just did 15 minutes and I didn't do 20 minutes or 30 minutes and, oh, it was hard and I couldn't focus my attention and, oh my goodness, like my butt hurt as I was sitting on the pillow and that's not supposed to happen, you know, whatever, to use the example of meditation. Yeah. But to the extent that you can, to your point, Dad, just keep on focusing on the feeling of accomplishment. Mm -hmm. You set a specific goal. It was 15 minutes of sitting there. Return to, okay, I met that specific goal. I checked my box for the day. Was it the biggest box in the world? Probably not, but it was a box and I checked it and that can feel good in and of itself. So if you're able to just kind of like accept the presence of those self-critical or more difficult thoughts, but then just keep on gently guiding your attention back to the feeling of, oh, I did the thing and I am allowed to feel good about it is really effective and super powerful for people. Yeah, that's great for us. I think that another thing that can be helpful for people, particularly maybe if you fall into that self-critical category, a lot of the time people suppress their own needs because they have a inner feeling based often on early experiences of not being valued by other people that they themselves are not valuable and not worthy. And therefore it is appropriate in a sort of way for them to kind of subsume their own needs to those of other people. And I think that you see that come up for people a lot, where they just don't feel mm. worth the spending of 15 minutes or 20 minutes to focus on what they care about, as opposed to getting wrapped up in what they feel like they need to get done in a day to talk about what you were mentioning the previous episode, that whole category of stuff that is urgent but not important. And instead, focusing on the important but not urgent mm. can feel inappropriate if you don't feel valuable for who you are already. 
And so I just think that the cultivation of self-worth as like a basic inner strength is so important to this whole territory because when we feel full, it supports us in a lot of different ways, right? We feel better about meeting our own needs. And then when we get to the whole territory of communicating those needs to other people, rejection feels less painful and less risky when we see our worth to groups, to groups of people. It's easier to ask for what we need because we're operating from a stance of equality rather than entering that interaction, already putting ourselves one down. You're prompting me to think of two other things that I found really helpful in this territory. Yeah, totally. And they relate to each other. Often what starts to happen, I think, for people is they've identified a need. They make some early steps toward meeting the need. The results are not yet spectacular. There are no fireworks. Mm -hmm. They're not yet receiving a Nobel Prize. And Mm -hmm. They haven't yet lost the 10 pounds or started the new business. And then they go, ah, and they get frustrated. Mm. And so one of the really important things along the way, I think, is patience. Mm. It's patience, which I'm going to remind yeah. myself of, actually. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> oh, patience. Related to that is this notion that you and I developed a lot in the book, Resilient, the idea of making your offering doing what you can, mm-hmm. watering the fruit tree without insisting that it give you an apple tonight. And to realize that when you're meeting your own needs, a lot of what you're doing is you're making efforts in the mm-hmm. proper direction. And that's what's really important. Make them skillfully. Obviously, they're aimed at a result. But to focus on the offering of the efforts, the making of the efforts, the doing of the activities, and not getting super fixated on what the outcomes are. I think that's a way to be patient and to support yourself down the road of meeting your own needs. I think connected to that, be real about what the timelines are here. Yeah. Like this is often a long and slow process. It's a process of internal change, getting more in contact with what you need and then going about meeting it. And sometimes we're trying to change the groups we belong to in different kinds of ways through changing our own behavior. And that could be a long and slow process. And the whole thing is just probably going to take a little bit longer than you'd like to. And It's appropriate to be real about that. And also what happens a lot is that people get 80% of the way to when they would start seeing returns from their actions Hmm. and they give up because they haven't seen any returns yet. Yeah, There's this basic principle in just change in general, but also actually from the Buddhist tradition of gradual cultivation, sudden awakening. It's a phrase that I like a lot. And I think that you see that in life a lot, where we have this long and slow accrual process where we're putting the work in, but it doesn't really feel like anything is happening. And in a sense, we're kind of like building up change energy, right? Yeah. And then all of a sudden, boom, like so much happens. And another phrase that comes to mind for that is the idea that like the overnight success is rarely overnight. It's often the manifestation of a lot of effort that has happened over a long period of time. And so I think that just being real about the presence of these tipping points in life. Mm. And we don't know when the tipping point is going to come, but when it does, a lot of stuff is probably going to happen pretty rapidly for us. Mm. And a lot of life is about sustaining the effort until we get to one of those tipping points. Well, let's maybe segue, if we could, to relationships, to expressing our needs into relationship, let's say, and also negotiating with other people Mm. around our needs and their needs too. I mean, this is something that a lot of people have written a lot about. You know, I could direct 
people's attention to one of my favorite books on relationships from Oren J. Sofer, Say What mm. You Mean. We've interviewed yeah. Oren for the podcast. When I think about what's been there for me, both personally and also my experience as a therapist with a lot of people, I think the first thing to be aware of is the very widespread inhibitions internally on revealing mm -hmm. or expressing mm -hmm. vulnerable mm -hmm. requests or vulnerable needs to other people. That was incredibly difficult for me to, to get through. And I had to just do a lot of personal growth on it, especially in my you know, late teens and early 20s. That's something for people to recognize, just that yeah, numbing, totally. the dissociation. If there's a trauma history around it, there can be a lot of dissociation, a lot of spacing out, a lot of sleepiness or wanting to change the topic or nervous laughter, intellectualizing. So for starters, just being aware, if it's the case that there's some kind of inhibition that can feel very embodied, it's like your body shuts down, or it's like a kind of muzzle comes over you, or there's a valve throttling down in your neck and your throat that blocks the expression of what you need. What's your take about that? Yeah, I think that we're often extremely inhibited in our expression of these things. People, of course, fall into different categories. There are some people who find it very easy to ask for what they need from others. Sometimes people frame this in terms of different kinds of cultures. The difference between ask culture and guess culture is one yeah. example of this, where yeah. there are some people who believe basically or come from a background where you're allowed to ask for whatever you want, but you need to be okay with people saying no to you. And then there are people who believe that asking is kind of fundamentally impolite and we should really navigate based off of our assumptions and our guesses about what other people want. And if somebody else doesn't perceive that I want a thing, well, it's probably because they don't want to perceive it, so I'm not going to be impolite by asking them to do this thing for me. And we cultivated more of an ask culture framework inside of our family, and so we're a little biased in this. But mm. generally speaking, I think that Getting real about the problems with guest culture and that kind of like inhibition of expression can be really helpful because nobody's going to be a perfect mind reader. Mm. And so if we want things from other people, we really do need to expose ourselves to the risk of receiving a no and to the painful feelings that can arise when we express ourselves really authentically to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And they're just like, no, dude, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Like that's extremely uncomfortable. Yeah. Or they make you the bad person for having to express this need in the first place, which is often, sure, a covering of their own insecurities around self expression or whatever, but that doesn't necessarily make it hurt any less in the moment. And so, yeah, I just think that the vulnerability around this whole territory is a huge reason that people struggle to express themselves socially. When I think back on my own history here, and let's use a couple of concrete examples that yeah, make sure. it kind of real. Let's say in roommate relationships, romantic partner, even marriage relationships, there are often needs that have to do with certain kinds of behavior, like housework, sharing the load, not leaving clutter around. Maybe there's something about that. And also there are needs that have to do with feeling really listened to by someone. And let's say maybe needs, who knows, in the area of romance, right? Sensuality needs in that area. So one of the things I've seen is almost like a three-step progression. And gee, how typical, I would think, in a three-step <laughs> way. But step one, which is probably the most important one, 
It's to name the need to yourself mm -hmm. with the words and push through the inhibitions, the shame even, about those particular words. What is it you really want? So you, at least you know yourself, and as best you can, to operationalize it in your own mind. What would it look like if you got your need met? Mm. Yeah, there's the underlying need, which is, let's say, in like you have a need for peacefulness and orderliness in your home, or you have a need for touch, for loving, sensual contact with a partner, or you, you need to feel that a key person in your life is actually listening when you're speaking and they're paying attention to you. Not mm. that you're droning mm. on for hours, but in reasonable ways. Those are deeper needs, but the expression of those needs or the, what it would look like if they were fulfilled is quite operational. It's quite concrete. And it's very helpful to know for yourself what the need is, even put it in language, and to know what it would look like if you got it. Mm. That's the mm -hmm. first step. Second totally. step, often, is to tell another person who's an ally. You don't have to do the second step. You could skip directly to the third step. But sometimes it's pretty helpful to float it past another person and get a reality check, a well-chosen other person. And they might tell you, well, the need is natural, let's say, for an orderly, aesthetically pleasing home. The reality of that with two three-year-old twins running around <laughs> like entropy generators in your disorder creators, <laughs> you know, in your home. You know, your desire for like a perfectly spick and span living room is just not realistic. They might say that. Flip the other way, they might listen to you with a, speaking with a fair amount of self-doubt and anticipatory defeat around, you know, the expression of your need. And they might say, hey, really, that's totally reasonable. Of course, people want that. It's standard. Mm -hmm. It's normal. For sure. Good on you for expressing it. Yeah. So that's the second totally. step, another person. Mm -hmm. And then the third step to the key person involved. And if it's a high-stakes situation, I think it can be helpful to clarify in advance your form. Kind of how are you going to do it? Mm -hmm. So you feel supported. So you don't feel like, oh, gosh, you're going to flounder or come in guns blazing because deep down inside you feel kind of insecure, so you overdo it by being mm -hmm. angry or over-controlling or over-demanding or dominating from the get-go. So clarifying, what are you actually going to say to this person? And I think the the form from nonviolent communication developed by Marshall Rosenberg is often a really helpful one, where essentially you're saying, when X happens, I feel Y because I need Z. And on the basis of that, sometimes is the request. So from now on, I request that. Now, that's yeah. the form, you vary the form, but that's the basic idea, including in it a communication of a vulnerable need and a need that's universal that other people can relate to. Very practical. And attached to nonviolent communication is general principles, right, that yeah. go beyond the form itself, although the form can be extremely helpful for people. And they're consistent to give another framework with a wise speech, again, from the mm. Buddhist tradition, and this is typically five or six items. And the first one is that the speech be well-intended, that it's aiming at helping, not hurting. It's not based on ill will. So that in the NVC framework is kind of consistent with using I statements, things like that, that you're aimed at helping yourself, not hurting somebody else. Mm. And then the second principle for wise speech is that it be true, that you don't have to say everything, but what you are saying is mm. accurate and honest. 
So the third one is that it's beneficial. It's enjoyable or useful to others or to yourself. The fourth is that it'd be timely. I think that this one is a very important one when you're communicating inside of a relationship from personal experience. In other words, it comes when it's appropriate. And also maybe there's an aspect of it where it comes when somebody else is willing to receive it or when the ground has been laid for them to receive it. And then the fifth one is that it not be harsh. And this really connects to what uh, Terry Rial said with our conversation with him, where I think to paraphrase the line, it was something along the lines of, there's nothing that harshness does that loving firmness doesn't do better. Mm. And that really stuck with me when he said that. I thought that was a really wonderful line that you can be firm and, and passionate Maybe at times even even a little heated in how we communicate with each other. It happens. We don't want it, but it happens. But the tone and the words that you're using aren't mean. They're not belittling the other person. You're not abusing anyone with your speech. All of that good stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's a sixth standard. And when it comes to expressing our needs, I think that this one's a little fuzzier. Mm-hmm. And it's that the speech be wanted. In other words, we want to be thoughtful about intruding onto other people or delivering a communication that really frustrates them or bothers them or is problematic for them in some way inside of their own material. I think that for need expression, a lot of people can fall into the trap of actually being a little too concerned about the communication being wanted by others. And we can often subsume our own needs because we fear that the communication is not wanted. So I think that that sixth one can be a little fuzzier. I don't know if you want to add a little nuance to that here, Dad. Oh, just to point out, everything you said was fantastic. And that sixth one in the Buddhist tradition, see for whatever's worthwhile in that for you, the sixth one is optional. Yeah. It's desirable, but optional. It's not inherent in right speech or wise speech. I think it's often really interesting with people in which we also start out sometimes in the real world in which we put a topic on the table and the first two or three times we do it, it's ignored or batted away, or there's a counterattack. It's not very productive. But we kind of persist. Maybe there's some back and forth. Maybe the tone becomes harsh a bit in the real. <laughs> We're big monkeys, you know, we come out. It happens, you know? yeah, totally. <laughs> and then there's hopefully a kind of resolution around it. And mm-hmm. I find that one of the dynamics that very often happens is we have A and B. And so A says, let's say with all the foundation, I would like X from now on. I would like you to do X, right? Whatever that might be. I'd like you to stop interrupting me. I'd like you to do your share of the housework. I'd like you to be much more engaged in raising our children. I'd like to feel that you're my lover as well as my co-parent, whatever that might Mm -hmm. be. I would Mm -hmm. like that. And I'd like you to support me at work. I'd like you to promote me, whatever that might be. Okay. And then the other person doesn't even hear it initially. It's like an inert response. And you go, okay. So then you say it a second time. I would like X. And now they finally are registering that you really do want X and you're going to keep speaking about it until they respond. So they give you a response on the order of, I'm already giving you X all the time, or X is no good, or but I want Y. What do you do then? What's really super helpful is just to keep coming back to the request and the power Mm. of the request. I really do want X. If you're giving it to me all the time, then obviously it should be no problem for you to continue giving it to me all the time. Or the person 
counterattacks or changes the topic to why, and you go, well, I'm really happy to talk about why, but first I'd like to complete with you about my request here for X. And you just mm -hmm. keep persisting. Mm -hmm. And there's something very powerful about that. I find Forrest, to be blunt, that most people are bad listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, sure. they just don't hear it. They're preoccupied. They're not evil. They got stuff on their mind. Mm -hmm. They don't want to hear it. Whatever it is, they didn't really understand it. It was too abstract. They couldn't read between the lines. You know, they heard the words, but they didn't feel the feelings, whatever. And you just have to persist. And just because they didn't hear you the first time doesn't mean they hate you. Doesn't mean you're never going to succeed at this. No, it often means that you really just have to stay with it. And then mm -hmm. you're in the process, once you stay with it, of trying to come to some kind of agreement that's real. Mm -hmm. And here too, I'm just seeing so often that you get 95% complete with someone on something, but you don't close the deal. Mm -hmm. You don't pin down operationally what actually they're committing to going forward. And you don't take the moment or the time to actually, to get them to be committed because initially they're actually not committed. They're like, oh, okay, sure, whatever, I'll do that. But really, they don't take it seriously. They don't really mm. give their word. And you got to take that extra little beat with them or that actual little step, like, really, yeah. are you okay with this new way of being together? Are you mm -hmm. really going to do this consistently? Yeah. Not in some kind of, I don't know, nasty, over-controlling way to the person, but almost respectfully. Like you're really just trying to surface their reservations and doubts that are in the way of a real commitment on their part to actually get to that real yeah. commitment. So maybe those are two real milestones, real reception, real hearing, real getting of what you're asking for, and then step by step by step, real commitment around it. Yeah, I mean, some of the just, being kind of revealed about my own relationship a little bit here and kind of using it as an example. Some of the most Has Elizabeth uh, given you permission to do this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah speaking, we get involved generally. In I think it's fine. <laughs> I, I know we should have her on one with like the three of us doing it because man, I refer to Elizabeth at this point like virtually every conversation we have yeah. and and all of that good stuff. But no, this is this is all fine. But thank you, thank you for checking, Dad. Very appropriate of you. Some of the most like powerful moments that we've had inside of our relationship have essentially happened because. One of us agreed to a thing. Yeah. And then the thing still kind of wasn't really happening for whatever reason. And the other person came back and said something to the effect of, Hey, I know that we agreed to this thing, but it feels like there's still some fuzziness and some discomfort around it. So I just really want to check in with you. How do you really feel about this thing? Yeah. Is this a thing that you really want? Is it a thing that you're really comfortable with? What could I do to make you more comfortable with this thing? Yeah. Do we have a lack of clarity about some detail of the thing? Do you yeah. think that you're at a 10 when I think that you're at a three? You know, do we have a gap in our collective understanding? And of course, it's a lot easier to have that kind of a conversation when you already have a loving, fulfilling, supportive relationship that has a lot of safety built into it. Yeah. But you know, you can imagine versions of this that you have with mm. people who are a bit more distant from you. Yeah. And a lot of the really powerful moments have been ones where the other person says, you know what, you're right. I haven't actually been comfortable with it. And I, I kind of don't really want to do it. And here's why. And here's what yeah. I'm worried about or what I'm thinking yeah. about. 
And then when you drop the veneer of perfect performance, mm. all of a sudden, all of this really cool stuff can happen because you're coming yeah. forward with a more authentic version of yourself. And then the real needs of both of the people start to enter into the arena and we can have a frank conversation about them where they can become balanced in a more appropriate way, whatever that looks like. Mm. And so I just think that's a really healthy relationship process. Well, I'm so glad you named that. Yeah. And to realize also that kind of related to the notion of being patient about pursuing your needs on your own, even independent mm. of the involvement of other people, to realize there can be mm -hmm. multiple at-bats, multiple innings, multiple yeah. iterations. Yeah. That with other people, often if there's a significant need that you're working out, expressing, and negotiating, it sometimes can take multiple cycles to really totally, nail it down. Totally. And here too, yeah. I see people, especially if they have a history of futility and defeat mm. around expressing their needs from their childhood, they kind of expect defeat. And yeah. to be clear, yeah. this is not their fault. There's nothing bad about this. Oh, I think this is a huge one and I'm super glad you're talking about it. Okay, yeah. yeah. There's a tenderness in this and a self-respect where you realize as a friend to yourself, huh, given my history, I kind of expect defeat. So yeah. pretty quickly, I just, ugh, there's like an inner slump that comes over me. Ugh. And I just kind of flop back in my chair and go, whatever, mm -hmm. it's too much trouble. I'll just take care of that myself or I'll yeah. just give up about that. Yeah. Totally. And as understandable as it is, it's not good for you. It's a natural mm -hmm. place to land in, but it's not where you want to end up. You want to keep going and yeah. come back to it. And to realize it's very often around the third or 10th time that you <laughs> visit an issue with someone, you know, <laughs> that the light finally dawns in them and they get it and they actually shift and make a genuine commitment that has traction to this new way of being. But totally. you had to bang away at it for the first four or five times for finally the sixth time you bring it up really, mm -hmm. really lands. And there are two big pain moments, I think. Well, there, there are more than two, but in this part of the conversation, there are two big pain moments that I think can really emerge for people. And the first big pain moment is that making of the first bit. You've made the first big, this, wow, I've yeah. come to terms with this inside of myself. I've accepted that it is the thing that I need from my social environments. And now I'm beginning to express this need in a full way, either to this person individually or to the groups that I'm a part of more consistently in terms of, of my desires. And this could, you know, there are a lot of different forms of needs. This could include everything from how I would prefer people to refer to me to, hey, we have this pattern inside of the relationship that just is really not doing it for me. It's making me feel extremely unsafe, and, and I would really like us to do what we can to change it because I really love you. you know. And I think that final moment of because I really love you can be really, really helpful also in terms yeah. of greasing the skits here. So that's pain point number one. Then pain point number two is the first time that you make that expression, the other person says yes, and then it doesn't happen anyways. That's a huge yep. pain point, I think, for people because it's like, oh my God, I did the big thing. We had the cathartic moment and yet we find ourselves back here at square yeah. one. And this is where I think some of that ask versus guess comes in mm. where you can reorient yourself towards a position of saying, hey, gently, I thought that we had this agreement that doesn't seem to be what's currently happening. Why is that? 
as opposed to assuming that it's happening because the other person doesn't want to do the thing. Sometimes, yeah, it's happening because the other person doesn't want to do the thing, but a lot of the time it's happening because patterns have reasserted themselves. The baseline functioning has taken over, they've fallen back into the pattern, or they totally forgot about it, or they were annoyed that day, or whatever, you know? And so just going through a deliberate process of like not making an assumption about the person's underlying motivation can be really helpful here. So here we have know what you want, right? Mm-hmm. Including what it would look like. Practically. Kind yeah. of sort of concretely. And then you negotiate an agreement. You go through that process. Mm-hmm. The other person says, okay, I'll do that from now on, more or less. Then, let's say, they don't do it a particular time. You talk with them about it. You find out what happened. Maybe there was a misunderstanding. Maybe something else came up that's understandable. Maybe really they just dropped the ball and they're kind of embarrassed about it. And nope, they really do want to pick the ball up again. Okay. And then maybe you start having the third, fourth, fifth time they drop the ball. They don't do that thing. Or they keep doing the thing that they said they would stop doing, like interrupting you a lot. Mm -hmm. And at that point, I find that what people commonly do is they just sort of give up and they swerve away. Now, sometimes that's appropriate where you just look at that other person and you think to yourself, they're voting with their feet. They're voting with their feet. Lost cause. Yeah. Yep. Totally. They're not going to do it. And that's super real. Yeah. Never going to hunt. I just, I get it, whatever. Okay. On the other hand, sometimes what's really useful is to address the broader topic of keeping agreements altogether with that Mm, other person mm -hmm. and the broader topic of how they regard you and how much of a priority you are in their life and how much you actually matter to them in a real way. And sometimes what happens when you do that is that the other person is not a bad person. They care about you, but in their frame of reference, their agreements with you, maybe around being roommates or at home, were just never really very important categorically, particularly compared to agreements in other areas, like their friends for their when they're going to get together on mm. the golf course or at work, you know, some kind of deliverable by the end of the yeah. quarter, right? But yep. agreements like with friends, for example, around showing up on time for a lunch, they're a different category. They don't feel like agreements. And yet to you, they're really important because you don't want to be sit, waiting at the restaurant for 40 minutes wondering what the heck is going on here. So that sometimes happens. And I think this is where the self-worth aspect is so important. You're right. We often have relationships that are unbalanced in their power dynamics, uh-huh. where one person cares about the other person more yeah. than they care about us. That, that happens. That is real. That's real life all the time. And yet, if we're trapped inside of that, it becomes very, very difficult for us to express our needs in a concrete way and why it's important for us to have an underlying sense of self-worth where, okay, sure, this person doesn't care about me as much as I care about me. Hmm. So it's important for me to get on my own side and do what I can do or do what I need to do to meet my needs, including changing my relationship with this other person, if that's what ends up being really appropriate here. Or coming at them with a little bit more firmness around like, hey, I get that, you know, this is not how you want to be relating to me, but this is how I need you to relate to me in order to perpetuate this relationship. And if you're not willing to do that, then like it's just going to be really hard for things to continue as they always have. 
And I think that without being grounded in like a sense of self-worth, it's just really hard to do that. Yeah. And sometimes you realize that other people, it kind of has to do with integrity, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Bottom line, they just don't feel a sense of duty or honor or integrity to keep agreements in general mm, if it's mm-hmm. not convenient. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And when you start to realize it about somebody, particularly as applied to you, maybe with other people, you know, who matter more, they keep their agreements, they really care about that or in different settings. But at least as far as you're concerned, they're really casual, if not defensive about keeping Mm -hmm. agreements with you for whatever reason. And in my view, it's really hard to have a relationship of any significance with someone Mm -hmm. who has that attitude about keeping their word, being honest, keeping their promises, and engaging in reasonable repair when there are misunderstandings or broken agreements. And this all doesn't mean becoming, uh, forgive the expression, an est-hole, going back all the way (laughs) to the 70s, in which the ass training was super-duper about agreements and all the rest of that. You know, we're not trying to regulate, control, and dominate other people. Just how do you have a significant relationship with people who just don't feel like they need to keep their word with you. Yeah. You know, it's like, whoa, that's kind of scary and dangerous. And it can feel poignant. There can be a grieving, a mourning when you go through the process of becoming disenchanted, waking up from the spell of what you hoped for. Yeah. Maybe the child in you really longed for mm-hmm. and projected onto that other person. And you realize, mm-hmm. no, they're, they're just. They're not going to give you what you want, but more fundamentally, even if they agree to give you what you want, you can't count on them. Mm. As a result, you sort of have to take a step backward. Yeah, you just mentioned repair there and maybe doing a soft pivot back to the relationships where you do feel like the other person cares about you, but for whatever reason, or the situation, it's a friend group thing. It's not just a one-on-one relationship. Because I think that a lot of this friction happens inside of friend groups, where you're bringing together a group of people, five to eight people at any given moment in time, and we develop styles of interaction inside of our different groups. And sometimes those styles of interaction serve four of the people in the group, but they don't serve one of the people in the group. So what do you do? How do you negotiate that, right? And I think that a big part of feeling safe, which is one of the things that helps us communicate what we need, is having some confidence in the ability to repair. Mm. Because... If our personal history suggests to us that a single difficult interaction basically ends a relationship, it's going to be really, really hard to make these bids that are emotionally vulnerable because we are risking so much in the making of the bid. And I have a close friend who feels, and they've expressed this to me and we've talked about it a bit and they've worked on this, where they essentially can never get into an argument because they've had so few positive experiences of a healthy repair process in their life. Yeah, And this means in their mind that like any form of an emotional blow up just like can't be fixed, which then strongly disincentivizes them from expressing themselves in any kind of a meaningful way, which then has the consequence of them not getting their needs met as often as they would like which then leads to a lot of resentment and frustration and so on and so on and so on, Mm. right? So just having some confidence in your repairability or believing that it is possible for people to repair can be a really helpful way to make expressing yourself more accessible if you're somebody who struggles with that. That's so good. I think, Mm. too, that when we express our needs, it's useful to keep in mind 
what it's like for the other person to be on yeah. the receiving end of a want coming at them. Mm. And that's a that's a moment for all of us when there's an important want. And often in that want is an implicit criticism about the past. Complaint, grievance, grudge, gripe about how it's been. And also, just as a quick note, I think that's what curtails change often. Because mm. if we're changing in the future to some people, they feel like that's essentially an admission of guilt for yeah. what they've done in the past. And, and yeah. that can really stymie change for people. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the things that was kind of a breakthrough for me was to realize that it served me to ask the other person, essentially, how can I help you get what you need so that mm. you can give me what I need? Yeah, totally. There's a reciprocity to this whole thing, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And just that right there, this funny mm -hmm. notion that without being pushy about it, let's say, we can, in a way that's sincere and authentic, really listen for what would support, what would enable the other person to give us more of what we need. Yeah. Now, maybe it's specific to what we're asking for. Like, for example, let's suppose that you have a roommate and you're basically saying, hey, you know, the refrigerator is just getting crowded out with all kinds of leftover stuff. You know, it's mostly yours. You know, it's been there for weeks. It's starting to, you know, <laughs> get creatures in it. What can we do here? And so my request for you for what I need is that we each have a shelf in the refrigerator and what you do with your shelf's cool. And this one will be mine. And you can decide which shelf you want, but then we just kind of stay in our own shelves. And the other person might say something like, well, and then you might think to yourself, what can I give them? Or how could I help them give me what I want? And it might have been, in the example I just gave, give them the choice of shelf, mm -hmm. for example. Or yeah, yeah. you might even ask them, this is what I'd love to have happen. Is there anyone I can serve this? And mm -hmm. it might turn out, they might say, well, I my stuff goes over multiple shelves. I'm just making up this example on the fly because I eat certain kinds of food or we never seem sure, to have anything yeah. in the cupboard. And you might also say, well, oh, no sweat. How about we just set aside this part of the cupboard in which yeah, there's a lot of yeah. room mm -hmm. for you and some of your stuff can just sit there that's been kind of mm -hmm. migrating to the refrigerator. Oh, sure, great. You're kind of speaking to a basic sales tactic here, which is make it easy for people to say yes. To the extent possible, if you can, make it easy for the other person to say yes. Right, without, and this is very yeah. important, falling into the pitfalls that are close there to, mm. in which you're, you know, sort of... Being manipulative, yeah. Yeah, totally. spinning other people. It's, sure. I think it's very important to stay rested in a kind of yeah. humility that recognizes yeah. that they, they have rights and needs to... Totally. It's a deal for your want to be landing on them today. And out of respect, there are things you can do that would facilitate them giving you what you're asking for. Yeah. And there's just a generosity aspect to all of this, I think. We're like, we're coming into the request from a stance of generosity from both people. Right. You're giving them an opportunity to be generous to you, and yeah. you want to be generous in return, right? Like relationships are a two-way street. And also, I think that there's this really cool thing that can happen sometimes. If you have the ability to access this with a close mm -hmm. friend or romantic partner or family member, yeah. you know, whatever, where naming our wants and needs in a pretty uncool way, almost, just be like very revealed and sort of like, yeah, I know that this is super imperfect, but here we are, we're all imperfect beings. 
just being kind of open about it can really empower other people to name theirs in return. And, and sometimes we can almost model the way that we want people to react to our needs by reacting to their needs in a similar way. Yeah. It's really hard to make a lot of big requests of other people when we are unwilling to respond to the requests that they make of us. And yeah, yeah you want to be careful about all of this. You don't want it to be like a tit-for-tat kind of thing where you hang on to all of your grievances until the other person comes to you with the thing that they need so you can respond with your content and vice versa. Like, that's obviously super unhealthy. But I, I do think in general that there's a really positive version of this, and I think a lot of it gets back to that generosity aspect. Yeah. Like, are you coming to it fundamentally with an open and generous heart? And do you feel like the other person fundamentally has got a sense of generosity toward you in return. That's so good. And one thing that's mm. true, as soon as you started saying, open and generous heart, yeah, I started feeling, okay, what's it feel like to have an open, generous heart? Yeah, and yeah. Yeah, it feels good, A. B, interestingly, when you come into a flow back and forth around mm -hmm. expressing wants with another person, when you come in with an open and generous heart, it immediately helps you feel more confident. Yeah. It's like you're totally. standing on the... Totally. Solid ground morally, yes. you feel like you're kind of rested in a certain virtue. I like that. That's super true. Yeah. That's really good. Some of this, I think a lot of the time, particularly when we're early on in contacting our real needs, particularly our real relational needs, there's something about the need itself that can feel wrong to us. Mm. It can feel tight. It can feel wrong. Uh, I don't know mm -hmm. if I'm supposed to be expressing this need right. to this other person. And that just can put us into kind of a contracted place mm -hmm. where we don't feel like we're operating from that big, open, spacious, generous place. And I think that that stance internally, that, that contracted feeling can just move us more into a combative form of relationship with another person. Like it, it softens the ground for combative interaction mm -hmm. rather than softening the ground for that more like open and relational interaction. Anyways, I'm, I'm kind of workshopping that one in real mm. time, but there's just something there that I think is think is meaningful. I think that's very, very true. Really mm. true. I can just name concretely some questions that yeah, sure. I think are really useful in business environments, friends, and definitely in intimate relationships. And people have different versions of these questions, but one of them, for example, is to really look at someone and go, what do you want? Or what would you like here? Or what do you want from me? Or what do you need? And mm. to be very careful about tone, because what do you want? That's harsh tone. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's, no, sure. that's not it. Just that. And imagine how you would feel if someone who was reasonably significant to you in your life, in an open and generous way, asked you those questions. What do you want? What would it look like if you got what you want? What would you like from me? What do you need? Questions mm. like that. It feels wonderful and touching yeah. to be asked that by someone who is genuinely interested in the answer and flip it around. That wonderful experience that we have when others ask us those questions, we can give that to others. Mm. Second, another related category questions is along the lines of, how can I help you give me what I'm asking for here? 
another related one is, what do you think I want here? And I want to hmm. say as a sidebar, having listened to many answers to that question, both when I ask it and when I'm watching people in a relationship with each other, it's stunning how often the person on the receiving end of that question doesn't really know what the first person wants or has distorted it wildly, often way exaggerated what the ask is when it's actually really quite modest and small. You know, for mm, example, mm -hmm. sharing housework, it really boils down to, you know, I'd like you to spend about 15 minutes more a day doing housework. And a lot of people think that what they're being asked of is some sort of vast and open-ended, boundless yeah. sure. request yep. or demand from a human vampire who's just going to suck their life force. And no, it's not true. So don't underestimate the degree to which other people don't know what you want, don't understand what you want. Really, really, you know, this territory I find from a practical standpoint is really important of clarifying and making sure that they really do understand what you want. Mm -hmm. And again, some of this gets back to modeling inside mm -hmm. of our relationships where we can model to the other person what we want to receive. And yeah. one of the most useful questions I've ever found in my own life is just, can I say that back to you? Yeah. Or some version of let me say that back to you. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is fill in the blank. Yeah. And then you say it and it gives them an opportunity to be like, no, that's not what I meant at all. And then I went, oh, okay, great. And we yeah. can have a moment of repair around, okay, we had a little minor miscommunication about this because yeah. I thought X and you thought Y. So just any version of like, let me say that back to you can be enormously helpful here. Yeah, that's great. To kind of put a bow on all of this yeah. as we're wandering toward the end here, a really useful thing to flag in this whole territory of identifying our wants and needs, getting in mm -hmm. touch with them, expressing them to other people, claiming them inside of ourselves, you know, whatever. It's just all of the small ways that we have little moments of pain because we didn't communicate our needs to others or because we didn't step into doing the practical things we need to do on a day-to-day -day basis to meet them inside of ourselves. And you get into this tricky spot with it because the moment of straightening something out with another person is always probably going to be bigger and scarier and more threatening than these little, little tiny moments of uh -huh. not quite being seen by somebody else or not quite having your needs met. This is very good what you're getting at. Yeah. So what we do is to avoid this one big scary interaction. Yeah. We absorb paper cut by paper cut yep. by paper cut of just constant suffering. Mm. And over time, all of those moments add up and the accumulation of those moments can cause so much long-term damage yeah. to ourselves, to the relationships that we have. I mean, I've, I've seen friendships between people end essentially because somebody was unwilling to really ask for what they needed from the other person. Yeah. And just over time, there were so many micro abrasions that they were never able to recover from mm -hmm. all of them. That, mm -hmm. hey, maybe if they had just been straightened out early on, that might not have happened. Yeah. So I think that some of this is about accepting the presence of a degree of discomfort, and then we have a choice to make. Mm -hmm. We can embrace the big momentary discomfort of expressing ourselves to somebody else, or we can come to terms with the pain of not having our needs met. Mm -hmm. And it's often a binary choice. You yeah. know, often we're choosing one or the other. Do you want the pain of rejection 
for the pain of never knowing whether or not they would have met your need. Yeah. I don't know. It's up to you. But either way, you are facing a degree of discomfort. So mm. a lot of this is about not deceiving ourselves about what we're really getting ourselves into here and about the way that our life really looks right now. One of my takeaways from this conversation that's real, mm. and mm. you're going to be on the receiving end of it. <laughs> oh, love this. Okay. <laughs> well, well, maybe not right now while we have the recording on, but maybe <laughs> down the road, but who knows. It's just... What's touching my heart here is mm. how I want to go out and with the key people in my life, ask them most sincerely, essentially, what else do you want from me? Yeah. Building on whatever yeah. I'm delivering, good, bad, and indifferent, is there anything that's really important that's hanging out mm. for you? And maybe the answer will be no. I'm going to be asking your mom this question a little bit later. And there's mm. something incredibly tender about it. To, yeah. And also to have the courage. And as you say, self-worth, but the courage to go and to give yourself going into it the right to say no, for yeah. example, you know, because totally. then that gives you room to open up that whole can of worms. Absolutely. And man, this, it, just, it will blow the mind of people. Totally. To be on the yeah. receiving end of someone who's mm -hmm. like their friend or father or son, sister, brother, spouse, and so forth, whatever, for someone to just kind of pause and go, you know, feels good, et cetera, et cetera, whatever our current baseline is. And I just want to check in with you. Is there anything significant that you'd like from me going forward here? Yeah. How about it? Whoa. Super powerful. Yeah, for Cue sure. Cue the soundtrack, and, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> totally. And again, just like kind of final point, and you retain the autonomy. Yeah. You know, having an open and generous heart doesn't mean that we're just going to do whatever anybody asks of us. That, that's yeah. not the point. It is a stance of being in the world. Yeah. It's not a commitment to be a rug on which other people tread. That is definitely yeah. not what we're advocating for here. But hey, you can ask the question. You can make the bid. That's what you're talking about here, yeah. Dad, with that. And man, what a beautiful bid that is for other people. I think sometimes in significant relationships, what will follow actually is a lot of appreciation of so much yeah. that's already good. Totally. And still there might be one thing still, right, on top of all that. I think that's great. I think it's a fantastic note to end on. And I really enjoyed this conversation today. I thought this was a really good one, focused on claiming our needs, doing what we can to meet them ourselves, and then getting a little bit more skillful and a bit more real about communicating those needs to other people. We started today's episode by talking about what can support us in meeting our own needs, because we're not always able to control or influence other people's behavior. So end of the day, a lot of the time, we're responsible for ourselves. And Rick began really practically, talking about setting aside just a little bit of time every day to pursue something that you think would be really good for you or to attempt to achieve something that you really desire. And it's really easy to fall into this trap of thinking that big change takes big effort on a day-to-day -day basis. And often what big change takes is small effort over a long period of time. And it can be really surprising sometimes how much you can get done in 15 to 30 minutes a day. If you write a page a day for a year, that's a book at the end of the year. 
but it's really easy at the end of each of those days where you only wrote a page to feel bad about your effort, to feel like you didn't quite do enough. And so we see this sort of dichotomy, right? Where accumulated over time, even relatively small efforts can add up to something really meaningful. But at the end of any one of them, we feel like we haven't done enough. So it can be really important to just constantly refocus ourselves on the little goals that we are meeting on a day-to-day basis. And it's really helpful to just go out of our way to feel good about meeting those goals. Yeah, we can see the thoughts flying around in our heads about how maybe we haven't done quite enough. We can acknowledge their presence and politely shoo them away as we once again refocus our attention on what really matters to us, which is that we checked the box today. Then we spent the bulk of today's conversation talking about expressing our needs effectively to other people. And I think that we really found the moral of the story at the end of the conversation when we talked about this underlying stance of having an open and generous heart with ourselves and with other people. Now, of course, this doesn't mean that we always do what people ask for us or that we always expect other people to do what we ask of them. It's just an underlying stance. It's one that moves us into a form of relating that increases our likelihood of having things going well. And then alongside that broad principle, we talked about a lot of specific tactics. We talked about nonviolent communication, which is a framework of communication that was developed by Marshall Rosenberg. It focuses on things like using I statements and other tactical approaches, but the real underpinning of it is a general principle and approach to communication that, again, loops back to that idea of the generous heart. And that's also supported by the wise speech framework, which comes from Buddhism. And the basic idea of it is that our communications should be a combination of well-intended, true, beneficial, timely, and not harsh. And if we're able to check those five boxes, we're probably standing on pretty firm ground. There were two themes that came up a lot during the conversation, and the first was self-worth. If we're already approaching our interactions one-downing ourselves, well, it's going to be pretty hard to get our needs met because we're not going to be comfortable expressing them to other people. Why would they meet the needs of an unworthy person? So if we feel worthy already, it can make us more comfortable expressing our needs. And also, frankly, it can insulate us a bit from the pains of when our needs are not met or from the moments where we make a request and the other person says, you know what, I'm not going to do that. The other theme that came up a lot was just the idea of incremental change. How often when we make a request of somebody, even if they say yes, their implementation around the request is going to be imperfect. It's going to be flawed. There are going to be bumps in the road. And we might have to revisit our request multiple times. And that's really perfectly normal. And it's pretty common for people to feel like if their request wasn't met the first time around, that it's never going to be met in the future. And this is the person communicating how they really feel about them and how they really don't actually want to fulfill the other person's request. But that's often not the case. I mean, people are wrapped up in their own worlds. They have their own problems. They forget things. They fall short. This is all, again, really, really normal. And so it's important to have some kind of a framework inside of our relationships where we can revisit requests that we've made in the past, where we get comfortable saying, hey, just wanted to check in about this thing. I know that we talked about it previously, and I wanted to see where you were at with it, or something like that, just a perfectly normal little check-in with other people. We covered a lot during this conversation, and I just want to really reemphasize the little bit that I said at the end, where 
We often have a choice in life, and it's not a choice between no discomfort and discomfort. It's the choice of which discomfort we're going to be selecting. We're choosing either the constant discomfort of not quite getting our needs met by other people or the one big moment where we express our needs in a full way and it's painful and uncomfortable and there's a change process around it. And I just want to take a moment here to flag that, of course, there's a third option. Sometimes you express your needs. Your needs are not met by the other person. They are not interested in changing, and they go on not meeting your needs. So you both have the pain of expressing yourself and that constant pain of not having your needs met. So that's not so great. But at the same time, at least in my experience, because I've certainly had that happen to me, and I'm sure other people listening have as well, there is for me a kind of freedom in knowing that at least I've done what I can here. So I'm not asking myself the constant question of, wow, could I have done something to make this turn out differently? I know I've done what I can. And unfortunately, the other person responded in a way that I didn't care for. That is what it is. I can't control that, but I can control my own behavior. And that at least can help me feel a little better. I hope you had a good time listening to this episode. And if you did, we'd really appreciate it if you would take a moment to subscribe to the podcast. And if you'd like to support us in other ways, you can find us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast. Also, if you can, just take a second to leave a rating and a positive review of the podcast. It really does help us out. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>